I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm teaching on the coronavirus, why it's here. It is a pestilence. God says, if you are not obedient to me, I will send pestilence. He says, I'll send four judgments. And pestilence is one of them in there. I'll send the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. The beast and the sword and the famine. And what I'm trying to zero in on is pestilence because of the coronavirus. Coronavirus is a pestilence. It's amazing to me that it's that it is spread all over the world. That is astounding because it's like God's judgment is coming on the world. Let me tell you why he's doing that. He's doing this because in over here in Deuteronomy 28, I've used this kind of a springboard chapter. He says in Deuteronomy 28 that if you... Now, this is while Deuteron- the time of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy comes from duo and nomos. Nomos is the Greek word law, and a duo is two or its second law. That's the second. It takes two witnesses to verify everything in the Bible. And Deuteronomy repeats what God has said from Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then he repeats a lot of that in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is right before Israel crosses the Jordan River to go in and possess the land of Israel. They've come out of Egypt 40 years before, and it's Deuteronomy is where everybody in Israel that has been rebellious has been put to death. God has seen that they die in the wilderness. So when they're about to enter in, everybody at the point in Deuteronomy are righteous people. Whenever people quote the verse out of uh, out of right as they're going in, in Joshua, they're going to take over the land, and they'll quote the verse... Uh, to choose life, they'll say, "See, you got a, you got an ability to choose what you want to do. Choose life." He's talking to believers. He's talking to believers. Choose or select life. It's the same thing that I'll do when I stand up here in the pulpit and tell you, "Live right. Live according to the Word of God." That's what he's saying. And one of the other amazing things in Joshua, at the end of Joshua, people don't even look at the context. Joshua is going in to conquer the land that has been taken over. It was given to Abraham. This is around 1450 uh, B.C. And it was given to Abraham around 2100 B.C. It was given to Abraham 650 or so years before that. Well, when you get into Joshua, they use this word choose, bakar, 
meaning to select. And when you're in Joshua, you're in, you're right as they're going in to take over the land. How do you know, Jim, that everybody that's been rebellious has been killed off? Because when they got to Kadesh Barnea, down just south of Israel, in the Negev Desert, and God told them to go in and conquer the Anakims, the land of Anak, and he sent them in there. Anak, the Anakims were the ancestors of Goliath. They were real tall people. And when the people went in there, the soldiers went in to spy out the land. They came up and they said, those people are too big for us to go in and conquer. Well, God said, as of that point at Kadesh Barnea, when they came back, he said, all right, I've conquered, God conquered the greatest army in the world when they left Egypt just a little while before then. And nobody could conquer the Pharaoh except God, and he did. So because of their unbelief, he caused them wandering in the wilderness. A year for every day they spent spying out the land. Forty years for 40 days. Well, when, when they said, we don't want to go in the land, God says, then everybody 20 years old and upward has to die. All the males in Egypt, in excuse me, in Israel has to die that are 20 years old and upward. That set a precedent for military age in Israel. And you can, everything has to coincide with everything else in the Bible. So God says 20 years old and upward since the military men Everybody 20 years old and upward has to die in the wilderness. That's why we know when they get ready to cross the Jordan River, all rebellion has been conquered. And that's why we also know that the oldest a man can be when they were at Kadesh Barnea and survive was 19 years old. That's the oldest you could be as to be a male. And everybody except Caleb and Joshua was killed off well you had to be only 19 year old men survived other than Caleb and Joshua so you had 40 years to that and the oldest that men could be is 59 when they went into the land so when you're reading anything in Deuteronomy they've conquered all rebellion in Israel so you have to keep that in mind if you're reading Deuteronomy Joshua Judges Joshua and Judges is about how Joshua goes in and conquers all the people. He goes in and conquers Ai and conquers uh, the people that are rebellious against God in the land. And in the meantime, from 2100 down to when they leave Egypt around 1448 B.C., during that time period, during that that six, seven hundred years, the that's where the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and all of them move into the land and take over. So you can't read the end you can't read Joshua without understanding these are all believers, because God killed off all unbelief. And when he says here in I'm just giving you this as a point of understanding. You have to understand about Deuteronomy. Understand, all rebellion has been 
wiped out. Well, in Joshua, this last chapter, and this is something else people use, 24th chapter, this is what people use to say, you can choose salvation when you start preaching predestination to them. In 2415, uh, well, let's read 14. And now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you, bakar, same word, it's choose life. Select, choose you this day whom you will serve. And people stop right there and say, see, you can choose to serve the Lord or not. But notice the choice he gives them. Gives them two choices, and they're both evil. Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were before the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Which one of these evil systems are you going to serve? That's the only, that's the only time a man has a choice and it's self-will. It's not free will. Now, go back over here to Deuteronomy 28. And he says here in Deuteronomy 28, he says, It shall come to pass that thou wilt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and do all his commandments which he to do all his commandments. How are you going to do the commandments of God? You're going to have to hear preachers preach truth. When they change when they change the word of God, and that's what the world has done. They have changed the Word of God to mean something that it does not mean. The gospel has been changed. People don't even know what the gospel is. When you hear a preacher say they're going to preach the gospel, they don't even know what that means. The gospel is the resurrection. The gospel is the blood baptism. The Bible says so. The gospel is the narrow way. The Bible says so. The Bible says John the Baptist came preaching the baptism of repentance as it was written in the book of Isaiah, which was prepare you the way of the Lord. That's the gospel. That's the baptism, baptism of repentance. And people have come up with water. There was a water baptism, but it was a proselyte baptism. And that is the truth. They've come up, baptism of repentance, which is the way, and the way is narrow. So the narrow way, narrow way is the baptism of repentance. The fact that it's you've got of repentance, when you look that up in a parsing guide, it's called an analytical lexicon. When you look it up, it will say, look up the word repentance, where it says of repentance, and it will say G-E-N. It means genitive case. You've got, that's where something is in a sentence. You've got nominative, nominative, genitive, Dative and accusative case. This is the 
this nominative is the subject and the and the predicate nominative. The dative case is the indirect object, and the accusative case is the direct object that receives the action of the verb. The dative cases like Jim threw John the ball. He didn't throw John, he threw the ball to John. John is the indirect object. Genitive case is very, very important. That shows possession. When you look up, when you look up the word repentance in any of those verses that says baptism of repentance, it will say genitive case on repentance in one of these Lexicons. A lexicon means dictionary. It shows you what part of speech something is, where it is in the sentence. Genitive case shows something that people, any man that has good sense, can see. Genitive case, if it says baptism of repentance... You look up repentance, every time it says that, it'll say genitive case. That means repentance possesses baptism. It means true baptism belongs to repentance. You have to be repenting in order to be baptized. That's why it means blood. Baptism is blood. A blood baptism was a martyrdom or a death. Just the fact that it says genitive case. There's no possible way that water can have to do with repentance unless you can be, first of all, baptized, comes from two words, baptizo and bapto. You know, that puzzled me the first time, I don't know, 40 years ago, when I looked up baptism in a Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. It just puzzled me. I went, What? I looked up baptizo and it said to cover. And then it said C and it gave a number for babto. And I looked up babto and I couldn't, didn't know what to do with it. And it said to stain with a dye. And then I had to read a lot of other men to say, to understand that baptize just the fact that it says to cover even in the strongs to cover something doesn't mean to dip it if you cover something up you pull it over the top you cannot say baptize means to immerse or dip under even though some men have added that in the concordance That's why I don't believe in these late concordances, these abridged concordances. They've changed some of the definitions. To cover has the idea. It has the best idea of true baptism. Mr. Strong will tell you, I've said this, and I don't know why I'm getting off the subject, but he'll tell you in the B volume, he'll tell you that baptized is a verbal noun verbal noun I hope some of y'all can get a hold of this it'll help you better to explain it 
It is a noun any way you look at it. It is not a verb. How did it end up being a verb? Mr. Girdlestone says, when the scholars came to the word baptized, it puzzled them. They didn't know what to do with it because it was a noun. But it was verbal in character. What does it mean, verbal in character? It means there was an action coming from an outer source to cover the subject. And that's not immerse. It's not. It's not sprinkle. Other than to sprinkle with the blood of Christ, it comes from an outer source, comes from God. Well, being a verbal noun, I know what that is from English. That's called an infinitive. Let me tell you what an infinitive does. An infinitive makes something infinite. If you go out and look at the sky at night, you see the stars, and some of the stars, the light's been shining for millions of years. And some of those stars have been burnt out for a long time, but we still see the light coming this way. That's infinite when we look at the the stars and we don't know how far it goes. We say, that's infinite. It goes on forever. That's what an infinitive does. Once a person is stained and died with the blood of Christ, that is constant till the day of redemption. That's that's a wondrous thing to know what an infinitive is. So once you're stained with the blood of Christ, you're never unstained, you're never unbaptized. Because of blood baptism, when you look up blood in the McClinican Strong, look at the end of the article. We get down to the end of the article, it'll say blood baptism. And it'll say to be a martyr or to die. And it meant the same thing as drinking a cup. When you want to you know what drinking a cup is, look at the C volume, look up cup. This is not hard. I'm not a genius. I just read a lot. And I remember what I read a lot. And to drink of a cup, they'll tell you, they tell you about all the cups, the cup of consolation, the cup of salvation. And they say, drinking of a cup means to taste death. When Jesus took the cup and blessed it and said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Testament means last will and testament. It's diatheke. It means to taste death. So he wasn't talking about drinking the grape juice. And a testament has no force. I've said this so many times I can't count. I didn't say it. The writer of Hebrews, the ninth chapter says it. Says that there is no force to a testament till the death of the testator. That night when he said this cup is the New Testament, this will I want you to partake of it after I'm dead about 18 hours from now. Is he talking about everybody gathering around the cross and having a cup of grape juice and drinking it? No. He's talking about death to self. When Jesus was in the garden, he said, If it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. You know what I believe he was saying? He wasn't talking about his physical death. 
He was talking about a spiritual death when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At that moment, I believe he took upon himself the sins of all the elect of all time, and he felt our shame. And everything you do that's wrong, that was on Christ on the cross. Now, so when he says, choose the God you'll serve, we're back over here in what they've done. They've changed the meaning of the word baptize. People say, but Paul was baptized. He was not baptized in water. Let me show you. People say this, and they're not paying attention to the verse or the verse before. Look at Acts 9. Sometimes I just like to, I don't know what made me get off the subject. But these are people who have changed the word of God. Look in Acts 9. What you do. Now that, I'm going to read the verse that sounds like Paul was baptized. Okay, can I do that? I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> sounds like it. Sounds like he was baptized in water. All right. I'm going to read verse 18 of chapter 9. of, And it sounds like he's baptized in water. Listen. Immediately there fell from Paul's eyes as it had been scales, and he arose. He received his sight and arose and was baptized. That sure sounds like he was dipped in water, doesn't it? Read the verse before it. And Ananias, who came to the house where Paul was after God struck him blind on the road to Damascus, said to Paul, Putting his hands on him, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto me in the way, as thou camest, hath sent me to do two things, that thou mayest receive thy sight, receive sight. And what else does he say? And be filled with the Holy Ghost. Those are the two things. So he equates receiving sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost with receiving his sight and being baptized. So he couldn't have been talking about water, could he? He named it. He specified it. Says it in one verse and specifies it in another verse. He wasn't dipped in water. Doesn't say that. He arose... The Bible says, Arise and be baptized and receive, be baptized for the remission of sin. Now, let's go back over here to Deuteronomy. This is what God says He will do. Now, well, I keep saying men have changed the Word of God. Let me give you a verse here. The Bible says in verse 21 of chapter 24 of Proverbs, There shall be no reward to the evil man. The candle of the wicked shall not be put out. That's verse 20. My son, fear thou the Lord the King, and meddle not with them that are given to change. The word meddle is a rob. Hey, looks like Arab. And it is. Arab is a Hebrew word. It means don't mix 
or don't run with those people that are given to Shana. Now God says concerning his judgments in Malachi the third chapter, I change not. I do not mutate or duplicate. That's why I say Jesus was not eating quackers and drinking grape juice at the last Passover. He was eating the Passover. When he took the cup and he said this cup is the New Testament, that sets the Testament to begin after he's dead, by definition of a Testament, and by what the writer of Hebrews said. You cannot have a Testament you can't have a last will and testament enforced till the death of the testator, and that was Jesus. So until he's dead, you can't drink the cup. And he said, drink ye all of it. Drink the cup every day the rest of your life, death to self. That's what he's saying. I don't know why nobody else can analyze this except myself. I've never heard anybody. In fact... He doesn't change, but we've changed the last Passover, which now is a spiritual Passover. The Bible says so. Look at, we're not to mix with people that are given to change. You're not supposed to be running around with somebody that don't believe in predestination. They believe in water baptism, and you can't even talk about a blood baptism to them. It's like Glenn said one night after I preached on this. He came up to me and said, people who believe in water baptism, they're not even going to deal with a blood baptism. When Jesus tells James and John, can you be baptized with a baptism I'm baptized with? He's talking about his death the next day. He's going to be crucified. What is he talking about? Are you able to be can? It's like I've said, Miss Redding in high school, and my 12th grade English teacher, you'd say, can I go to the bathroom? She'd say, I don't know, can you? Oh, 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 may I go? May means permission. And Jesus said, are you able to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Can you be, can you undergo the blood baptism? They said, yes, we can. He said, both of you will, and you are. That's an amazing statement he says to him in Mark 10. Every scholar I've ever read after, when they read the book of Revelation, they studied John, the apostle John, after he was boiled and all and put on Patmos, Patmos. Every one of them will say they don't know if John was martyred or not. I know. You know how I know? Because Jesus said, you'll both die the death. You'll both drink the cup that I drank of. Jesus was talking to James and John. John the Revelator. He said, you'll die. So after John came off of Patmos, he must have been put to death according to Jesus' words. Can you believe Jesus? Or these guys are guessing whether John was martyred or not. I'm going to believe Jesus. So when when you're talking about these people... Look over here in Matthew. When you're studying, everything goes together. They've changed the Passover. 
They've changed it. Meddle not with them. Don't mix with those people that pass around crackers and grape juice and they believe in free will. And you go to some Baptist church who preaches you got to accept Christ and that's not true. And the crackers and grape juice is not true. Look here in Matthew, the 26th chapter. What gets me, the Bible tells you what they're reading. It says so right here. 26, this is the night before Jesus is going to die on the cross. And it sets it up. You've got Passover mentioned several times. In verse chapter 26, verse 2, you know that after two days is the feast of the Passover. In verse 17, the last sentence, the apostles come to Jesus and say, Where wilt thou that we should prepare for thee to eat the Passover? What are they going to eat? Crackers and grape juice? No, they're going to eat the Passover. And then, and then in verse 18, the master saith, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover. Not crackers and grape juice. And then he says, in verse 20 and now when the evening well he says in verse 19 the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them and they made ready the Passover they're going to eat the Passover you can't change that in verse 20 when the evening was come he sat down with the twelve and as they did eat what what are they eating crackers and grape juice no they're eating the Passover. He said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And then they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. Now other places, in over in Mark and Luke, it will say, He that dips in the sop. The sop was the bitter herbs, the last item of the Passover. And the, one of the most common bitter herbs to the Jews was wormwood. And God says, when you're rebellious against me, I will cause you to drink wormwood, a bitter herb. You can go down here to a vitamin store, you can get some wormwood, and it's healthy for your blood. and supposed to cleanse your blood. Now, I'm just trying to show you if this is true what was blotted out when Jesus was nailed to the cross the rituals all the rituals of the Passover were blotted out but that means there's a spiritual Passover when he was nailed to the cross blotting out the handwriting of rituals which was against us it was contrary to us took it out of the way nailing it to his cross Two handwritings, one on tables of stone over in the Old Testament and Deuteronomy 9, one on fleshy tables of the heart in 2 Corinthians, the 4th chapter, and Hebrews, the 8th chapter, and Hebrews, the ninth chapter. The law is written in fleshy tables of our heart. That is a spiritual writing, and we have a spiritual Passover. I don't know why I'm the only guy that can find this. I don't even understand it. You know what? It seems real simple. You know why? When I run across something, I got all these Jewish books. 
I got one of the best writers that there is. Alfred Edersheim. He was born in 1825, died in 1889. He was a Jew, converted to Christianity, and he gives us these in these four books. And I'll tell you where I got this, if I got it up here. I got one. It's uh, the temple, it's ministry and services. I think I've got one up here. The temple, it's ministry and services. In the temple and ministry and services, Mr. Edersheim tells us, I got one here somewhere, I don't know where it is, but he tells us, being a Jew, he knows all about it. He said, Mr. Edersheim says that the, he's got a section, and this is right up on the top of the section. It says, the cup of blessing. He said this was a title. It was a title for the third cup of the Passover. Third cup. That was the title of it. Now, I'm sure Mr. Adersheim is reliable. He's got a book. This comes out of the temple. The temple, it's ministry and services. Ministry and services. It's just called the temple a lot of times. And he'll tell you that. Well, look over here. In 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. 1 Corinthians 10. Now, Jesus has been nailed to the cross time you get to Corinthians, and he's blotted out the rituals. So that would mean all the literal cups, the literal bread. And look here. First Corinthians ten. And when you read this and you know that from Mr. Edersheim, this will be like a bell ringing in your mind. Verse sixteen. The cup of blessing boom. Third cup of the Passover. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Will you look up cup? In the in the McClinic and Strong, it'll tell you it means to taste death or to die. So drinking of a cup and a blood baptism were the same thing. They both mean to die the death. And then he says, Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? It was against Jewish law to drink blood. This is not Catholicism. It's not the mass of the Catholic Church. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body? Well, what's the body of Christ? How many bodies are there? Huh? How many bodies? One body. You can find that in Ephesians. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, the fourth, the fourth chapter, Ephesians 4. Verse 4. There's one body. 
One spirit. Even as you're called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. It's blood, not H2O. So if there's one body, what's the body? Well, you look over here in Colossians, the first chapter. They've changed baptism into H2O, but that was something the Pharisees did with their halakha. That wasn't a biblical teaching. That was something they did. Why did Jesus do it? He wanted to go in a proselyte baptism because they said if you would be circumcised, washed in water, which they called a new birth, this was the Pharisees changing the word of God. Washed in water and offer two turtle doves at the temple. The two turtle doves and the circumcision was in the law. This was their proselyte process. I have never heard any preacher preach anything on the proselyte laws ever. I got this book here and it's all through this book. Oops. Commentary on the New Testament from the Talmud in Hebraica. And it's written by John Lightfoot. And he took his life, spent his life studying on the laws of the Pharisees. The Halakha and the Haggadah. And this is one of the things they put in there. And they said, if you would be circumcised, washed in water, and offer two turtle doves, you could be a proselyte in Israel, and if you are a wise man, they said they had to listen to you. But see, the Pharisees were calling Jesus a Samaritan. That's what they said in John the 8th chapter. He is a Samaritan. He's full of sin. That's what they said. And the reason they called him Samaritan is because he was raised in Samaria. But all of this goes together. Samaria, Zebulon is in Samaria. That's where Jesus was raised. Nazareth is in Zebulon. And he was raised there. And everybody thought Nazareth was the most filthy place in the world and the Pharisees especially. That's why, that's exactly why Nathaniel or Bartholomew, whichever we want to call him, that's why he said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? When Andrew said, we found the Messiah, and they said, where is he from? Nazareth, are you kidding? That's a filthy place. So they said, if Jesus goes to John and says, let's fulfill all righteousness, let's fulfill the righteousness of the Pharisees, if you will wash me in water, I have already been circumcised. You can see that in Luke where a mother took him to, to after her 40 days, she had circumcised Jesus on the eighth day after his birth, and she had to wait 40 days before she could go into Jerusalem. So she went into Jerusalem at that point. And Jesus said, the Pharisees are saying, if I will 
his mother offered two turtle doves. He was circumcised. The only thing he was lacking was the washing in water in order to undergo this proselyte process. And the Jews would have to listen to him by their own halakal law. So he goes to John and says, you baptize me and they'll have to listen to me. That's why John, the first chapter says, John said, therefore am I come baptizing with water that Christ might be made manifest to Israel. He didn't say so you can be baptized and show an, an inner work of an outward walk of God. He didn't say anything like that. That's why he's baptized. So we are baptized in the blood of Christ. The, the rituals, all of the rituals were blotted out with Jesus being nailed to the cross. Now, I was going over here to Colossians. There's one body. So, the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? The body, what is the body? Well, over here in Colossians, the first chapter, verse 18, he is the head of the body the church that's what we partake of the church who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead then he says down here in verse 24 who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Now go back over here to 1 Corinthians. If you find one thing equal to something else, you can substitute it. And the old algebra axiom, if the equals are substituted for equals, the results are equal, right? The body equals the church. So wherever you find the body, you can exchange body equals church, right? That's algebra. Body equals church. Let's go back over here to 1 Corinthians 10. Let me read that again. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the church of Christ? Don't not talking about a church of Christ down here. For we being many are one bread and we are the one body. So when he said this bread is my body, he didn't say is. He didn't say our word is. Our word is is the word enai. Let me write this. This is our word is. If you translate it from the Greek, it's the word e-i-n-a-i. That's not what he said. This is why if you don't go back to the original text, you won't know. He didn't say E-I-N-A-I. -I. That's not what he said. Is. Is a form of the verb to be, to exist. What he said was this esteem. This is my body. It means to represent. This bread represents my body, the church. You have to eat of... But I thought eating was putting something in your mouth and chewing it. Not necessarily spiritually. When Jesus was talking to the woman at the well in John 4th chapter, 
And his apostles said, we've got to go into town to get something to eat. And they came back, and they found Jesus with the woman. They said, have you eaten anything? He said, my meat, my meat is to do the will of the Father. My meat is nomos. Nomos is the Greek word law. It means legally prescribed food for animals. In our case, sheep. Legally prescribed food. So, to eat of something doesn't mean to put something in your mouth and chew it. I love the verse over in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. This really puts it like it is. 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Look here. 1 Corinthians... It's kind of like, it's like a spiritual Passover book. It's got it all through the book. When he says here in, and they have changed this to crackers and grape juice. He's talking about partaking in the body of Christ. And he expresses this by saying, everybody's got a literal body. And when you partake of your body, some of you, you're baptized into the body in verse 13. Well, you're not baptized into a, you're not water baptized into a church. You're blood baptized into the body. That what's make death to self. A blood baptism is death to self and faith is death to self. Not going to take time to explain that, but faith is faith believes God and doesn't believe yourself. It's what it does. For Bible and Spirit are we all baptized into one church? I'm just going to substitute church there. There's only one body, and you can substitute wherever you find the body of Christ, you can put the church. Baptized into one church, whether we Jews or Greeks or Gentiles, whether we bond or free and have been made all to drink into one spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the truth. John fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, John fifteen, twenty six, John sixteen, thirteen, first John five and six, the spirit is the truth. So we're baptized into truth. If you don't look at the figures of speech here and define the words, you're not going to know what this is talking about. And then he says For the body is not one member, but many. And he tells you what the members of a literal body is. If the foot shall say, all I can do is walk around. Well, if you can't walk, you can't get anywhere to do anything. If the foot shall say, because I'm not of the hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? It's got a purpose. And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body. Is it not of the body just because it's in the ear? Just because it's the piano player? Just because it's the person that sweeps the church out and cleans it? Just because it's the secretary like Mary or Tom and they do all the correspondence? Just because it runs the cameras? I can't do this alone. I'm only the preacher. I don't even know how to turn those cameras on, much less how to run them. I don't know how to do Mike does what he does. I would rather jump off my building on uh, this building on my head than to try to go in there and start doing what he does without knowing anything about it.
I don't know how to do that. I'm only the preacher. That's all. Without all of us being a part of the body, this can't get done. Tom does his job. Dave does his job. Mike does his job. Jesse does his work. Judy plays the piano. And just because everybody can't be a part of this the way you want to, if the whole body were an, an eye, where is the hearing? If the whole were hearing, if everybody played the piano and everybody's fighting to get to who plays the piano, and Teresa plays when Judy isn't here. That's what it's talking about. Where's the smelling? And now hath God... that Verse 18 is fantastic. It says what it says because he's the God is the one that puts everybody in the situation where they belong. If you tie to the church, don't think you don't have a big part in it because you do. We can't pay for all these lights and all this, all these DVDs we give away. It takes about thirty-seven, thirty-eight thousand a month just to run this ministry to break even. I'm not begging anybody for any money. If you give, that's between you and God, not between me and you. Now God has set members, every one in them, as it hath pleased him he's got everybody where he wants you to be don't think you're not doing right because all you can do is come here and sit and contribute your tithe or your monies takes all of that all of it's a part now but now are they many members but one body and the eye cannot say unto the hand I have no need of thee the piano player can't, or the preacher can't say to the guy that runs the camera, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I don't have any need of you. Without the feet, you can't walk into the church. You can't get in your car and drive here. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble, asthenes, A S. T-H-E-N-E-S. Asthenes means they don't fit very well. Are necessary. The feeble parts. I say this every time I get to this. They used to think that the tonsils were not important. So they'd tell all little kids that go to the hospital at six years old back in the 40s, you need to have your tonsils out. They found out now that they gather all kinds of germs and all kinds of corruption. And I used to think I needed to have mine out. But once I got them out, all the infections started going to my lungs. That's what your tonsils collect. It's the same thing with your appendix. They gather, it gathers poison. It's necessary. It's an it's an uncomely part of the body. And those members of the body which seem to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and the uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. Comeliness means they fit well. For our comely parts have no need, 
But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that which part that part which lacked. If a person's got a great personality and they're real good and got a real business acumen and they can get out here and hustle and make things happen, they don't need any more glory. God's going to take the base things of the world to bring to naught the things that are. Base means the the parts that don't fit well. You find that in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. Base is the word agonese. A-G-E-N-E-S. It comes from the word gene and the alpha primitive which negates the word gene, it means no noble bloodlines. He's going to take people that are un, unqualified in the eyes of the world to bring to naught the, uh, the people that are high up and bring them down. That's what he does. Not many mighty, not many wise in this world, not many noble are called. Called would imply the ecclesia, the called out of God, the church. Ek kaleo. Not many mighty, not many wise in this world, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Noble is the word you, goodness. It means, you means well, means good genes, many Blue bloods are not called of God in the church. That's what it says. I didn't say that. Paul said that. Get mad at him. Not many rich, not many mighty. Most of the leaders of the world and not many not many Donald Trumps and Joe Bidens are called of God. I'm always asking people, so I'm for this and I'm for that. And was he a real godly chosen man and he believes in predestination? That's kind of, if you get somebody like that to run for president, he's not going to win. You know, we're not looking for, the world is not looking for an honest, godly man. Well, let me keep reading this. For our comely parts, verse 24, have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there be no schism, no division in the body, in the church, but that the members should have the same care one for another. When you leave the church, don't always go to the popular person and pat them on the back and tell them how you care about them. Go to the downtrodden, the people who don't get much attention. Whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all members rejoice with it. And boy, I love this verse 27. Now you are... Now ye are the member of Christ, of the body of Christ, and members in particular. When he says that you got the foot and the hand and the eye and the ear, that's in particular. The word particular is the word meros. It means a portion to eat of you're going to eat in the body of Christ meros means a portion to eat in the 24th chapter of Luke 
when Jesus went to the apostles in northern Israel and he said do you have anything to eat and they brought him a piece of fish they brought him a maros of fish that's what it says means a piece to eat this this is amazing you take the alpha place it in front of meros it translates a m a r t i a with the alpha primitive that is the word sin it means to miss the mark and I think of the Garden of Eden where God says you can eat of every tree, all these trees out here, but you can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of evil in the midst of a garden. And what they do is they'll go beyond the mark to that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what they go to. And what's in the knowledge of good and evil is all in the world the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, because that's what Eve saw in that tree in the midst of garden. She saw a tree that was good for food. It was pleasant to the eye, and make her wise, and she could be proud. So sin started here. Hamartia is sin. That's the word sin. And when you look at the word nomos, And you place the alpha in front of nomos, it translates A-N-O-M-I-A, which is the word iniquity. It means unlawful. Unlawful food. Nomos means legal food for sheep. The alpha privilege negates that word. It means unlawful food. That's iniquity. That all started in the garden. Sin started in the garden, missing the mark of God, going to the mark of Satan, going to the karagma of Satan. When the Bible speaks of the mark of the beast, it's the word karax. It comes from karagma. It's the word karax. And it means a stake on a boundary line. And the stake started, you can trace everything back to the garden. God says, don't go beyond the stake. Don't go beyond the mark. If you take the mark of the beast, you go after all that's in the world. And it's not uh, some computer chip. What gets me is they try to say a computer chip. We've got something more powerful than the computer chip nowadays. It's called DNA. If they wanted to put a mark on you, it would be that. Now, so, I don't know where I was. Oh, I was talking about sin. And this is, when he said this is, he said esteem. This is my body. Now, I don't know how I got into this. What they've done, they've changed the word of God. You can't have... How much time to have, Mike? 33. See if I can get this in. Uh, 
let's go over here to 1 Corinthians 11th chapter. I said to you earlier that 1 Corinthians was a Passover book. You got Jesus, the Passover lamb, in the fifth chapter. You got the bread, which is the church. We being many are one bread and one body. Uh, let me give you one other thing. They never bring this out in a church. I, I never hear any of them bring this out. They never bring out the lamb of the Passover. I never hear it. Look over here and mark the 14th chapter. Mark 14. Now, there are four items at the Passover. A lamb. They've changed all this to crackers and grape juice. The lamb. The four cups. And third cup is cup of blessing. Jesus took the cup and blessed it. Said this cup is the new last will and testament. But I have to be dead before you can drink of it. Four cups. Unleavened bread. That was a seven day festival. Seven days. Well, the Bible says we being many are one bread and one body and we're to be unleavened. Leaven is a type of sin. And then you had bitter herbs. That was the sop. The sop. The, the, the preachers have changed everything. You know what the problem is? They're too lazy to study the Greek text. They don't care what something means. I will sit and tell any preacher in America they're wrong. I will stand I will stand on a platform down here in Titan Stadium and get me about 10,000 preachers sitting. I will say, well, something is wrong with you guys. You're just too lazy to study. I never hear any preacher on the radio that really studies. I mean, I've spent decades researching. I can't research now in my 80s like I could in my 40s. I researched around the clock in my 40s. Looking at words, what do they mean? What did they mean? What did the Jews mean when they said something? Look here in Mark 14. Notice there's something here you never hear them say. And this is, you got... Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 13. These are all John 13. This is everywhere you find the last Passover, and every one of them. That's where they got the crackers and grape juice. Crackers and grape juice. You don't have it anywhere else in the Bible except 1 Corinthians 11. And I'm going to bring that out to you. This is the only verses where they get crackers and grape juice. And every one of them say, Where will thou that we should forever thee to eat the Passover? For the Passover is near. 
It just shows you how corrupt the church is. Where did the crackers and grape juice come from? The writers, the church historians tell you around 154 to 158, somewhere in that area, they had been having an agape love feast every Sunday, every first day of the week. Where they would gather together to bring food for the poor, take an offering for the poor, and you're going to find that agape love feast described in 1 Corinthians 11th chapter. And Mr. Enoch Pond and Williston Walker, very reputable historians, great historians, and Backhouse and Tyler. Backhouse. Backhouse. Get, you get these history books, they'll tell you something different than the preachers. Backhouse and Tyler. Williston Walker. Williston Walker. And I love Enoch Pond. He was a congregationalist. That's what the Puritans started calling themselves after they had been here for a hundred years. They started calling themselves congregationalists. They believed in predestination. Congregation. Mr. Pond says in his history of the church, he said the church began to be apostate at the end of the second century when the church began to turn itself over to synods and councils. We would call that conventions and associations because the thing that rises to the top of a convention or association is not the best scholar. It's the best politician. The guy that's president of the Southern Baptist Convention is not the best scholar usually. I got a book written by John Phillips and uh, one of the ex-presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention. The first six chapters was written by the ex-president. What was his name? Uh, Jerry Vines. Jerry Vines is dull and boring and full of error. So I got the book but I never read Jerry Vines. I tried reading some of it, and I thought, this is garbage. And then when Mr. John Phillips gets to his, he's brilliant. He is a tremendous historian. And you get all this information. So I ignore the first of the book read the last half. It's a great book. Uh, what's the name of that, Mike? Do you remember? I don't remember. Huh? It's it got John Phillips. He is a tremendous historian. When I'm teaching you about the kings of Babylon and the Assyrian kings, I get information from his book, but I don't read Jerry Vines. He just he made his way to the top of the Southern Baptist Convention. But Mr. 
Ponces, when they start turn themselves over to conventions and associations, that's when the church begin to get apostate, real apostate. Now, I read to you a while ago from Matthew 26, Passover, 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 right? And he says here, this is, this is Mark's account of the same thing. Chapter 14, verse 1. Two days was the feast of Passover. Then you go to verse 12. And the first day of unleavened bread, which they, when they killed the Passover. Why don't they have that in their cracker and grape juice service? Because they had to have a lamb. You had to have a lamb as well as the four cups and the cup of blessing. We already found out what that was. That was death to self. We already found out what the bitter herbs is. That is going through trials of life. And the unleavened bread, we being many, are one bread and one body. We're the bread and the body. Why? Because Christ is in us. He's the bread that's in us. So they killed a Passover. What's the spiritual Passover lamb? You got the same thing in Luke 22. This is Luke's account of the last Passover. If you if you believe in a crackers and grape juice, you're not going to ever deal with the spiritual Passover. Luke 22, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, drew nigh, which is called the Passover. In verse 7, then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover lamb was killed. They had three things they called the Passover. The lamb, the day, the day, which was Nisan 14. They called that the Passover. Nisan 14. And the week the Feast of Unleavened Bread that went on for a week. They called all those a Passover. So one of these they've got to kill. Are they going to kill the week? Are they going to kill the day? Oh, they're going to kill the lamb. Right? I don't know why this is not plain to preachers. Now, where's the Passover lamb? One time. Oh, let's go over here. Let's go over here. to 1 Corinthians. The... They've changed all of this. If you don't deal with the spiritual Passover, you're not going to have death to self. You're not going to have eaten to the bread of body. You're not even going to have church discipline without spiritual Passover. But that's in the 11th chapter. So, you look here in 1 Corinthians. Here's the Passover lamb. They've changed all this. Better not with those that are given to change. This isn't all they've changed. They've changed. They've added tongues, which there's no such thing as Pentecostal tongues. It's either dialect or glossa. Glossa, we get our word glossary from that, which is a section of a book with words that are foreign to the average reader. And glossa means foreign language. They've added faith healing. There's no such thing as faith healing. How much time, Mike? 22. Well, I better read this and get off the, what I'm talking about. Thy faith has made thee whole. Every time that word is said, whole is the word sozo. It's the word saved. Faith doesn't heal, it saves. 
Well, the amazing thing to me, all those faith healers, they get old and die of a disease. All of them. Oral Roberts died of a stroke. I mean, died of pneumonia. Got that off the internet. All I did was look up how did Oral Roberts die. They say pneumonia. I don't know why he had to die of pneumonia being the greatest faith healer in the world in the last hundred years. Except he wasn't a faith healer, he was lying. They lie about everything. I don't believe Oral Roberts went to heaven when he died. I don't believe that uh, what's his name over there in Tulsa? Hagen. Ken Hagen. I don't believe he went to heaven when he died. They preached all this faith healing and all you got to do is send your money to them and you'll be rich. I don't believe Paul Crouch went to heaven at all. Paul Crouch started TBN, the largest network in the so-called Christian network in the world. And the guy, he came out in the paper, he had an affair with a man. He was a homosexual. That was in the paper, in our local paper. He paid off this guy $420,000 to keep him from talking, but he talked anyway. How can those people be believers? Jan Crouch's purple-haired wife died of a stroke connected with a heart attack. Paul Crouch died of congestive heart failure. Why do those people die? Why can't they be healed? Because when you get old, one of your system fails and gives out. You die of cardiac disease or you die of respiratory disease. Some something your body gives way. Gives up to something, to a disease. Now it says here in the fifth chapter of First Corinthians. There's a man having an affair with his stepmother. Paul says, separate from that man. Deliver him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord was a day that God would come and deal with someone. And he says, your glory is not good. No, you're not that little leaven. Leaven of the whole lump. He is saying that this man is the leaven of the spiritual Passover because he talks about the Passover lamb immediately after this. They had to get the leaven out of the household the morning of the Passover, take it outside the house and burn it. Leaven was a type of sin. But we sure do like it, don't we? We like leavened rolls, yeast rolls, don't we? Yeast is a type of leaven. It sure tastes good. They'd get it out of the house and burn it. So this man that's having an affair with his stepmother is called the leaven of the spiritual Passover. That's what he's called. Purge out there for the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you're unleavened for even Christ our Passover lamb is sacrificed for us. There's the lamb now. They weren't eating crackers and grape juice. They killed a lamb at the Passover. Good grief, you preachers. Well, you're the only one I've ever heard say that. Well, what does that have to do with anything? That's like people said, well, that's only one time in the Bible. Well, John 3.16 is only one time in the Bible, too. How many times you want it to be there? Now go over to 1 Corinthians 11 chapter. 
I don't know if I can get through this. And people always want to remind me, well, it says somewhere in the Bible, as often as you drink this cup and eat this bread, as often as you drink what cup? Death to self? And eat what bread? Partake of the body? We've already established that, hadn't we? They're having an agape love feast. You want to find out what agape love feast? Take your McClinic and Strong and look up agape and it'll tell you all about the agape love feast that they had every first day of the week because Jesus rose from the dead that day and they gathered together and brought money for the needy and brought food for the poor. All right, let me see. He's saying here in verse 20, When you have come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. You're gathering together for the poor. For in eating, every one of you taketh before the other his own supper. He's hungry. And another's drunken. What? Have you not have you not houses to eat and drink in, or despise the church of God and shame them and have not you're gathered together to bring food for the poor, not to eat it? What shall I say? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which was also delivered unto you that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took the bread of the Passover, which now is us. We being many are one bread and one body. And when he had given thanks, he broke in and said, Red letters, take, eat. This is my body, the church. Which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me this that word remembers comes out of the 12th chapter of exodus the first passover look at that do i have time how much time do i have mine 15 look at at uh, first uh, exodus the 12th chapter and it shows you that passover is forever it didn't quit when Jesus died on the cross and he said, I changed not. He did not mutate the Passover for items into crackers and grape juice. He said, I changed not. I don't mutate in my judgments. This is a judgment of God. Look here at Exodus. It, you know how long it took me to understand this? 20, 25 years. And it seems like it fits together like a puzzle. Look here in Exodus 12. He's telling them to take a lamb without blemish. Tells them that in the front of this. In verse 5, a lamb without blemish. And then he goes through it on the on the 14th day of the first month. That's Nisan 14. That's March, April. And then he gets on down here talking about the Passover in verse 11. And he comes on down. I'm not going to go through all of it. Verse 14. This day shall be unto you a memorial, zikron, 
memorable thing and ye shall keep the feast of the Lord throughout your generations and ye shall keep it a feast by ordinance forever well if when he died what happened to it it became spiritual all the rituals were nailed to the cross with Christ there's two parts to the law the letter and the spirit it's the letter he drove the nails through when you wanted to do away with one one contract you took the the contracting parties in public you took the two original witnesses says everybody agreed we're going to invalidate this and it will become spiritual now and they drove a nail through it the same thing we do when we use a a notary stamp and that held up in their courts of law how do you know that I've read all this in so many books so he says over here in verse 24 when he has given thanks he he took the bread and break it and said, Take heed, this is my body, the church. What chapter? 11th chapter, 1 Corinthians, verse 24. Take heed, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We partake of the body, remembering Christ. We eat of the bread, remembering. And after the same manner, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the new last will and testament, and I have to be dead before you can drink it. In fact, let me read that real quick in Hebrews. In Hebrews, the ninth chapter. Hebrews 9. In verse 16, For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. So when Jesus said, Drink this cup, it's the New Testament. I've got to be dead before you can drink the cup. And that'll be about 18 hours from now. He's not saying drink grape juice. Everybody gather around the cross when I'm dead and drink a cup of grape juice. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Verse 17, for the testament is a force after men are dead. Last will and testament, death decay. That's the word testament. It's the last will and testament. I got a whole lot to say about that. You find that over in 1 Peter, the second chapter. He uses another word for that in 1 Peter. I don't have time to go there right now. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while Jesus is alive. Testament didn't have any power until he was dead about 18 hours later. I hope you all get a hold of that. Then, let's go back over here. Let me go back through. Let me just show you this. Let me just show you this. First Peter, the second chapter. The second chapter, verse 21. For here do were you called Kaleo. This is where the church was called to. Because Christ hath suffered for us, leaving Hupolimpano, leaving us an example, leaving Hupo. L-I-M-P-A-N-O 
is a word that means to be queeth. You bequeath something to somebody after you're dead. It has the same basic meaning as testament. And then he makes a list of things that you're given to drink the cup. I'm not going to go through that now. Now let's go back over here to 1 Corinthians 11. I love this. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This death to self is the New Testament, the last will and testament, only after I'm dead. People have called me and said, what about that in 1 Corinthians 11? Like it's going to, like it's going to negate the verses in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Don't negate it. It supports it. It's in red letters. It's quoted from there. This cup is the New Testament, my blood. As often as you drink death to self, you're doing it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, partake of the word of God as a part of the body. Right now, we are eating the bread. And as often as you drink this cup, you'll, you'll go out and tell people what you learn today, tomorrow. And you'll drink the cup because they'll separate from you when you tell them Christmas is pagan, Easter's pagan, God doesn't love everybody. But death doesn't mean they'll kill you. Death is the word T-H-A-N-A-T-O-S, which is the word death. It means separation. It does not mean annihilation. They will separate from you when you tell them Christmas is paganism. That's death. You'll be drinking the cup when people don't want to have anything to do with you. Does anybody have that problem? Me. And everybody else has that problem, don't you? We don't talk to people about the truth. They want you to, they say, here, drink this cup. The part really bothers people here is, uh, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord on worthily whoo that's a Passover term <laughs> unworthily anaxios it means there's inequality in it a-n-a-x-i-o-s you see the word axios it comes from the word axiom axiom comes from axios means equitable equitable would be equivalent to the word righteous righteous is the word D-K-I-A D-I-K-A-I-O-S-U-N-E it means equitable that would be and that would be a synonym for axios but anaxios, the alpha privative, negates that. It means no equality. It means wrong. So those that drank the cup, it was said that whenever you drank unworthily at the Passover, here's what happened. Everybody's changed this meaning to crackers and grape juice. If you can eat drink crackers and drink grape juice, you're gonna, you're okay. And P 
people pass around that that cracker and grape juice and say, okay, now examine yourself, see if you're worthy. Nobody's worthy of Christ. Everybody's unworthy. But he makes us worthy. He pronounces us innocent, justifies us. What they did, at every one of these feasts, they had three feasts. And they, and, and all of the males from all over the world, they had been scattered when they were a nation under kings. They went after Baal and the grove and Shemash and Molech and all of these gods. God scattered them all over the world. And he gave all the males to come back from all over the world. And you got this in this, and this, I got this out of the compendia. And they're coming back from all over the world. Well, I'll get to it in a minute. There it here. They're coming back from all over the world. They were scattered all over the world. When they coming back, the Pharisees had men go out on the roads, and they didn't have highways like we have. The roads were very rough. They had, when the rains would rain, the rocks would come up and be sticking out and protruding. And they had to go prepare the roads for the people coming back from all over the world. And when they came back, they'd go out on the roads and be repairing the roads. And if they ran across a dead body, a dead body, they had to paint it with lime. Dead body. They painted it with white lime to warn everybody to stay away from it. Evidently, they learned that lime would kill off disease. So they painted it with white lime and they, and they called that where that body was and they put a stone on it and painted with white lime and they called that a whited sepulcher. Called it a whited sepulcher. And if you came in contact with a whited sepulcher or dead body, you had to wait a month to go partake of any one of these feasts, the Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Ingathering, which was coupled with the Day of Atonement. You had to wait a month, and you find that over in the book of Numbers. I believe it's around the ninth chapter. And you couldn't partake of the... If you partook after you came in contact with a dead body without waiting, what are the whited sepulchers of the spiritual Passover? Jesus told the Pharisees in Matthew 23... You're like whited sepulchers and you're full of dead men's bones. That's what he meant when he said that. So if you partake with Pharisees, you can't run with the world. That's the whole thing he's saying. You're partaking of the bread and the body and you're drinking the cup unworthily. If this spiritual Passover is not true, you ought to know everything I said today, okay? And then he says, You partake unworthily and shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. 
But let every man examine himself if you're running with whited sepulchers. Pharisees who've changed the word of God. And that gets back into the law. Let him eat and drink. Let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the body of Christ. Sounds like when they went out there in the 16th chapter of Exodus and they saw all of that white stuff on the ground, the manna, they said, what is it? And Moses said, that's what we'll call call it. We'll call it mon, or we call it manna, which means, what is it? They're not discerning the church. They have no conviction about what they do. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. We need to judge ourselves and see if we're running with the wrong crowd. And this takes me right into church discipline. Have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rebuke them. And if anyone comes bringing in their doctrine, then the doctrine of Christ, and this connects with, if you keep his commandments, that you'll go against your enemy one way, and there'll be seven ways. But if you don't keep his commandments, this is why the world is losing. But the Christians aren't losing. But the world is losing the fight against coronavirus, against AIDS, against Ebola, against polio. I was alive when polio was rampaging across the world. I was 12 or 13 years old. Everybody was terrified of it. Am I out of time? Yeah. He, he said in verse 33, Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tear for one another. He didn't mean hold your cup till somebody else gets their cup. He says, wait till the poor get there. Don't start something till they get there to get their money and their food well I didn't say all I could but I hope you understand that if you are in hunger let him eat at home I, I love teaching on this because this is one of the change this is one of the things the world has changed to drink the cup is to die daily Paul said I die daily he said, you have to take your cross daily. That's death to self. That's drinking the cup. That's being baptized. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for truth and for this wonderful word you give us. I don't know how to express how I feel about it. I don't know why you've let me see this, but you have. It's easy to say, well, why doesn't everybody else teach this Lord they're just lazy they don't care about analyzing your word to find out what you meant thank you for truth fight our battles for us help us to take a stand at all times for the truth and then we'll drink the cup and we'll be blood baptized we thank you for everything that you're doing in the world today. Fight our battles. In Christ's name we pray, amen. That's like a racetrack.
I hope everybody gets a hold of this stuff. It's to me this is one of the most important things. There's been more people died over crackers and grape juice and water baptism than anything else. More than coronavirus. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. They've killed off millions through the decades. But that's just one of the many changes that they've changed. And they don't even think that's that serious. It's like Glenn said, they won't deal with the blood baptism if you'll give them water. What are you doing there, brother? I ain't going to shake your hand. I just, I don't understand why preachers, I know why they won't find out because they like the money they're getting. No revelation. Huh? Still no revelation. Well, they don't. God don't make them hungry enough. They're just not hungry. They've changed the Passover to crackers and grape juice, and the spiritual Passover is very important to us. Huh? That's so easy to do. Take a little bread, wine, and That's oh yeah, you just home free. That's right. It's like, well, I took my wine and my bread, so I get to go to heaven. It's kind of like water just gets you wet. Yeah, that's right. That's all it does. It just it don't even fill you up. All it did was me. All the, yeah. all the grape juice does is make me thirsty for something else. <laughs> A little bitty piece of bread made. When are we gonna go eat? <laughs> it's it's crazy. But that's our dime. I'm going to put this here so I can. You were just getting, you were just getting started. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why either. I have so much more to say on that. Well, if you get ready to say my stuff, you let me know. I'll come over and sit and listen. Huh? I'll come over and sit and listen anytime. Okay, all right. You remind me of my great grandfather. He was a minister, a primitive minister. Well, I believe in. I used to sit at his feet and listen. I believe in getting details. Absolutely. Break everything down to the lowest common denominator, and you'll find the answers. That's what getting deep is all about. That's what it takes. That's what it takes. Lowest common denominator. Mercy me. 
take anything out for you? No, well, I, if you want to carry some, yeah, you can. I, I don't do. I don't just take stuff like that. You what? I don't want to violate anybody's space. We carry his stuff. Yeah, they carry my stuff for me. Well, I love you guys. I'm going to leave. Hey, Sherry. Sherry, baby. Sherry, baby. Sherry, won't you come out tonight? Well, there's my water. I will. I'm, I'm going to leave in a minute. Mike, do I have any checks in there? Um, Was there any in the front? Wonderful. How about you here? Good. I always like the only thing I say. I'm done doing great. Negative. Negative. How you want this in here? Just stick them on top of that. Oh, thank you, brother. Appreciate that. Seven of them there. Okay. <laughs> I went over to one of the restaurants to give me a five and two ones. They just gave me seven ones. Oh. <laughs> right, well, you be good. I'm going to tell all of them bye. Okay. I love you, brother. God, I got to come and see everybody. I'm Have back. you lost weight, Herb? Yeah, about 30 pounds. I thought you had. I thought, who is that skinny guy? <laughs> Has that been recently? Has it? You take care. I love you, man. Oops, I sure do. I will. Yeah. 